Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. Every year is a year of firsts, and 1886 was no different. It was the year that a book called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was published. The first African-American Catholic priest was ordained that year, and it was the year that an American pharmacist invented a carbonated beverage called Coca-Cola. 1886 saw President Grover Cleveland become the first and only president to hold a wedding ceremony in the White House and an Englishman named Thomas Stevens became the first person to circumnavigate the globe by bicycle. 1886 was also the year that a woman named Sarah Winchester first set foot in San Jose, California, and the year that she began building her home there. But it wasn't just an ordinary house that she built. It was the most extraordinary house ever imagined, one that was to change the skyline of that humble city forever a house that would eventually be known as the Winchester Mystery House. When Sarah moved from New Haven, Connecticut to California in 1886, she was a 47-year-old widow and she was incredibly wealthy. Although she was born into a well-to-do family, the almost unimaginable, staggering wealth she ended up with was something of a fluke. Sarah Pardee was born in 1839 in New Haven, Connecticut. Her father, Leonard Pardee, was a successful carriage manufacturer. Sarah was one of seven children, and she was well-educated. As a child, she learned to speak four languages, and it was said that she could play the piano beautifully. Later, she was admitted to the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute at Yale. Sarah's parents had their sights set on a successful young local man to marry their daughter, William Winchester, the only son of firearms manufacturer Oliver Winchester and future heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. The company was one of the first to mass-produce firearms that could fire multiple rounds without reloading. As a result, the Winchester family had amassed a sizable fortune. William and Sarah married in 1862, and four years later, the couple's only child was born, a little girl named Annie. But she died just six weeks later of marasmus, a rare disease that causes the body to wither away from severe malnutrition. Some say that Sarah never got over the loss of her daughter and that she fell into a deep depression that stayed with her for the rest of her life. But it was not the last loss she would suffer. In 1880, her father-in-law, Oliver Winchester, died, and William inherited the rifle company. But just four months later, William fell ill and died of tuberculosis. As a result, Sarah suddenly had more money than she knew what to do with. 
she inherited a $20 million fortune, the equivalent of over $500 million today, plus 50% stake in the Winchester Rifle Company. Her stake in the company gave her an income of $1,000 per day, the equivalent of $28,000 per day today, roughly $10,220,000 pocket money per year. And remember, this was before income tax, so her financial resources were virtually unlimited. And this is where our story really begins. It's said that Sarah considered her newfound fortune to be blood money. The Winchester rifle was used to kill countless men, women, and children during the Civil War, and it's often hailed as the gun that won the West, as it was the most deadly weapon used against Native Americans by white settlers. According to some sources, Sarah turned to spiritualism as a way to help alleviate her depression over the loss of her husband and daughter, and to seek advice about what to do about having inherited a company that was responsible for the deaths of millions. The spiritualist movement was at its height in the late 1800s, and there were many people who claimed to be able to contact the spirits of the dead. The story goes that Sarah consulted a Boston medium named Adam Coons who told her that she and her family were haunted by the spirits of the Native Americans, Civil War soldiers, and others who were killed by Winchester rifles. He said that the death of her daughter and her husband were caused by these angry spirits, and that she would very likely be next. The only way to appease the spirits, he said, would be to move west and to build a magnificent house for them. But there was one catch. Sarah's life would only be safe if construction on the house never ceased. As soon as she stopped building onto the house, she would die. Now, whether or not the story about the medium is true, one thing is for certain. In 1886, Sarah Winchester left Connecticut to visit a niece who lived in Menlo Park, California. While she was there, she purchased an unfinished two-story, eight-room farmhouse and ranch in the Santa Clara Valley, just three miles west of San Jose. The house was named Lenata Villa. It had sweeping views of the rural countryside and 45 acres of land. As soon as she bought the house, Sarah got right to work finishing it. But instead of enlisting the help of an architect, she hired a team of carpenters and directed them to build directly onto the farmhouse according to her own plans. With steadfast determination, she began adding rooms onto the house, and over time it grew, and grew, and grew. It's said that 16 carpenters worked in shifts around the clock, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, building rooms to her exact, eccentric specifications. Over the next 38 years, the house grew into the extravagant maze of Victorian architecture known today as the Winchester Mystery House. It's estimated that by the time of her death, she had spent over $5 million building the house the equivalent of $71 million today. Though it was much bigger at the height of construction, today the house is 24,000 square feet and takes up six acres. 
It has 161 rooms, including 40 bedrooms, two ballrooms, 47 staircases, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, 10,000 window panes, 2,000 doors, 52 skylights, 47 fireplaces, 17 chimneys, three elevators, and two basements. Because she never hired an architect, Mrs. Winchester's simple sketches of her building ideas were all her foreman John Hansen had to work with. She had no training whatsoever in architecture and didn't know the first thing about woodwork, carpentry, or construction. So each morning, Mr. Hansen would dutifully meet with Mrs. Winchester to discuss her ideas for new changes and additions to the house. Then he would meet with the carpenters who would carry out her wishes. John Hansen was employed by Mrs. Winchester for many years, and he was such a dedicated employee that he made sure that all of her design ideas were carried out to the letter, even if they made no sense. If plans called for columns to be installed upside down, then upside down they would be. If a skylight was to be installed in a ceiling that had a view of the hallway above, so be it. If Mrs. Winchester wanted 13 bathrooms in her house, but just one shower, then 13 bathrooms and one shower she would get. Now, it must have been maddening work for Mr. Hansen. Every day he would oversee the construction of rooms that would be built one week, remodeled the next, then torn down a few weeks later. So many rooms were added, then destroyed, that it's impossible to know exactly how many were built over the years. But it's estimated that there were between 500 and 600 rooms. As the house grew in size and rooms were added seemingly without purpose, it often became necessary to find creative solutions to problems that grew from Mrs. Winchester's lack of architectural knowledge. For example, Windows look into other rooms, and tiny nooks are tucked into corners that seem to serve no particular purpose. In one room, a closet door opens up into a room located several feet below that just contains a sink. As a result of the unorthodox method of designing the house, or because of Mrs. Winchester's eccentric ideas, some of its architectural oddities are baffling to say the least. The house is a web of twisting corridors, stairwells, and rooms within rooms, and many doors were installed that are high enough only to accommodate Mrs. Winchester's diminutive 4-foot-10-inch frame. But the oddities don't end there. One staircase descends seven steps, then ascends eleven. There's a door on the second floor that leads outside, not to a balcony, but into thin air. Anyone who might mistakenly walk through this door would fall 13 feet to the courtyard below. Some doors lead to secret passageways, and others open to reveal solid walls. Were these phantom doors installed for aesthetic purposes, or were they there to trick the ghosts who were supposedly haunting Mrs. Winchester? We just don't know. And speaking of ghosts... One staircase has seven flights with 44 steps, but rises only nine feet because each step is just two inches high. Many believe that the tiny steps were just another device created by Mrs. Winchester to confuse the ghosts. If that's the case, 
then she must have thought that ghosts have very big feet, which would prevent them from maneuvering such tiny stairs. But a more down-to-earth theory is that Mrs. Winchester had the steps installed in her later years when she suffered from severe arthritis. She couldn't lift her legs high enough to climb regular steps, so she designed these tiny steps in order to be able to climb to the next floor. Why didn't she just take one of the three elevators? Because they were installed later when her arthritis became so severe that she was forced to use a wheelchair. One of the most famous puzzles in the house is a staircase that leads to a ceiling. Much has been made of this mysterious staircase to nowhere, and of course, those who think that Mrs. Winchester was trying to confuse the ghosts as they chased her through the house believe it was installed for that purpose. But there's a much more logical explanation. Mrs. Winchester had no master plan for the house, and her architectural ideas didn't always work out. She usually covered up her mistakes by building around them or by tearing them down and starting all over again. The stairs to nowhere were probably part of the original farmhouse. When she started adding on to the house, she probably just covered up the top of the stairs and continued on her merry way. Now, most people consider the number 13 as being unlucky, but Mrs. Winchester certainly didn't. The number is featured so prominently throughout the house that she obviously embraced it rather than feared it. Many of the closets have 13 hooks. She designed a stained glass window that was embedded with 13 blue and amber stones. There are 13 ceiling panels in the entrance hallway. The house has 13 bathrooms. And the 13th bathroom has a window made of 13 panes of glass. And some of the stairways have 13 steps. But if anyone thinks that all of this is just a coincidence, they need to take a look at Mrs. Winchester's will. It contained 13 paragraphs, and she signed her name to it 13 times. The Grand Ballroom is the most expensive room in the house. It cost more than $9,000 to build, about three and a half times the cost of an entire house. The Grand Ballroom is also famous for its large pipe organ, the two Shakespearean-inscribed stained-glass windows, and a hidden safe. Mrs. Winchester was an accomplished pianist, so she often played the organ at night when she had trouble sleeping. The Grand Ballroom is both beautiful and creepy-looking. The walls and ceiling are paneled in dark wood, as is the organ and the intricately patterned parquet floor. If you see a picture of it, you might be reminded of Disney's Haunted Mansion ride. This is because Walt Disney actually visited the Winchester Mystery House and modeled his ride after it. We think of ballrooms as places where many people would meet for dancing and fine food, but this wasn't the case with Mrs. Winchester's ballroom. Rumor has it that she often hired bands to play and that tables were laid with food for guests in the grand ballroom, but none ever arrived. Some believed she wasn't interested in living guests. She just wanted to appease the spirits. At the very center of the house is the Blue Room, though most people refer to it as the Seance Room. The room has three exits, but just one entrance. 
It was in this windowless private room that Mrs. Winchester supposedly held her nightly seances. It's said that at midnight she would ring the large bell that sits atop the house to summon her spirit guides, then ring it again at 2 a.m. when the spirits departed. There are 13 hooks on the wall that were supposed to have held 13 different colored robes that she would wear during these nocturnal spirit communication sessions. After Mrs. Winchester's death, when the house was open for tours, the seance room was decked out with a Ouija board and a desk that held a pad and pencil. It was here that Mrs. Winchester supposedly received her building instructions from the spirits at night, wrote them on the pad, then relayed the messages to Mr. Hansen in the morning. But this is probably one of many instances of fancy getting in the way of fact. Apparently, the room was actually used by the head gardener, and the 13 hooks were added after Mrs. Winchester's death. The Ouija board, desk, and pad featured in the tours were not original to the house. Some say that they were installed by a museum curator to add a mysterious atmosphere to the room, but the truth is we just don't know. Mrs. Winchester didn't allow photos to be taken inside the house, so we don't know for sure what any of the rooms originally looked like. After her death, Mrs. Winchester's staff insisted that she showed no interest at all in spiritualism. Her closest friend, Miss Henrietta Severs, also firmly denied that she had any spiritualist leanings. The fact is, the first mention of a seance room was in a 1928 article that was published well after Sarah died. By that time, the house was open to the public for tours, and the so-called seance room was probably hyped to draw in more tourists. Sarah Winchester was such a private woman that we really don't know what her interest in spiritualism was, or if she actually did try to contact spirits in the room. If she did dabble in the occult, it wouldn't have been unusual for that time. Spiritualism was at its height in the late 1800s, especially among educated, middle- and upper-class women. But if she did hold seances, they were certainly private affairs because she never entertained guests. It's not surprising that so much has been made out of Mrs. Winchester's desire for seclusion and privacy. As soon as she moved in, she gave instructions to her gardeners to surround the house with tall cypress hedges. It's said that she always dressed in black as if she never stopped mourning the loss of her child and husband, and that she kept her face covered by a black veil whenever she went out in public. She also never allowed herself to be photographed. In fact, there's just one known photograph of Mrs. Winchester that was taken without her knowledge when she was out for a carriage ride on the estate one day. For the record, she's not wearing a black veil over her face in the photo but it seems that she did wear one whenever she was around people she didn't know well. One story says that a woman who accompanied Mrs. Winchester's dentist to the house reported that she wore a veil the whole time that they were there. There's also a rumor that servants who caught a glimpse of her face by accident were fired, though this is probably just another legend that grew out of her secluded lifestyle. But there may have been a good reason for Mrs. Winchester's desire for privacy it might have been rooted in fear for her personal safety. On July 1st, 1874, ten years before she moved into the house, 
four-year-old Charlie Ross and his five-year-old brother Walter were abducted from the front yard of their family's mansion in a well-to-do section of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Walter was released, but Charlie was held for ransom. The kidnappers demanded $20,000 for his safe return, the equivalent of $400,000 today. The parents were actually in debt and were unable to pay the ransom, and the boy was never found. The case was a news sensation, and as a result of the kidnapping, many wealthy families hired private security guards to protect them. As one of the richest women in the country, Sarah Winchester was well aware that her safety depended on keeping a very low profile in public. It may also be the reason that she slept in a different bedroom each night. Not to confuse the spirits, but to thwart any attempt at kidnapping. Though she was a very private person, it would be ridiculous to call Mrs. Winchester a recluse. Though she was obviously obsessive about her privacy, she was actually never alone in the house. In fact, she had people around her night and day. Eighteen house servants, eighteen gardeners, and of course, the ever-present crew of 16 construction workers. What's more, her niece, Marion Merriman, lived with her in the house and acted as her secretary for 15 years. So, far from being the spooky old woman who wandered aimlessly around the labyrinthian monstrosity she created, it seems that she was just a very private woman who was always surrounded by people. Recluse or not, there was a gentle side to Mrs. Winchester. She had a dog named Zip, who she is said to have loved. The little dog would wander the halls of the house, and he was very well loved by the staff. As was the case with Mrs. Winchester, there's just one known photo of Zip, and surprisingly, it appears to have been taken in a studio. It's hard to tell from the photo what kind of dog he was, but he seems to have been a very long-haired terrier. As private as she was, Mrs. Winchester seemed to have a soft spot for children. She welcomed the neighborhood kids to come and play on the grounds, and she even invited them into the house for ice cream or to play the piano, though she probably never put in a personal appearance when they were there. Mrs. Winchester was extremely wealthy, but she was also very generous. She donated huge sums of money anonymously to orphanages and other charities, and she paid her employees double the going rate. She often paid tradesmen in gold coins, though she insisted that they come out to her carriage so she could inspect the goods she was buying because she never showed her face in public. Even then, she always wore a black veil over her face when discussing business. If she was building a maze-like house to confuse the ghosts that were haunting her, she certainly did a good job of it. At the height of construction, the house was absolutely massive, and anyone, living or dead, trying to navigate through it would certainly get lost. Miles of twisting, meandering hallways, secret passageways, and stairways that suddenly branched off in different directions were enough to confuse anyone. In addition to building a house that was unique, Mrs. Winchester built one that had the most up-to-date technology of the day. One of the first things she did after moving in was having a gas generator built. It supplied the carbide gas lights in the house, and unlike most gas lights of the time, 
Hers ignited with the touch of a button. Many of the home's conveniences were rare at the time of its construction. These included steam heat, forced air heat, indoor toilets and plumbing, a telephone, a dumbwaiter, and electric lights. The house also had garden hoses, which, believe it or not, were a new invention at the time. These were used to water the plants in the conservatories so the gardeners didn't have to carry buckets of water up to the upper stories. Installed throughout the rooms of the house was another new invention called the Annunciator. When Mrs. Winchester pressed a button, a card would drop at the bottom of the unit which was located in the staff quarters. The card would show Mrs. Winchester's location, and a servant would go to that area of the house and answer the call. Now it seems that Mrs. Winchester was something of a car enthusiast. She owned a French Renault, a Buick Town Car, and two Pierce Arrow limousines, one of which had a special paint job of lavender and gold. Like everything else she owned, Mrs. Winchester didn't skimp when it came to her cars. The receipt for one of the Pierce Arrows, a 1917 model B4 Suburban, is in the Winchester Mystery House archives. It shows that she paid $7,320 for the car, the equivalent of over $162,000 today. In some ways, the grounds of the estate were as opulent as the mansion itself. Two sandstone pillars with ornate wrought iron gates marked the formal entrance to the estate. These led to a circular driveway that branched off in five different directions. The main driveway that led to the front of the house was lined with Washington palm trees. How many? Thirteen, of course. In addition to the main house, there were a number of other buildings on the grounds. One was a large, state-of-the-art stable that housed Mrs. Winchester's carriages and horses. There was also a separate house that was once occupied by foreman John Hansen, his wife, and two boys. A large carriage house was used to house the several cars that Mrs. Winchester owned. It was also used as a repair shop, and the cars were washed there. There was even an aviary where Mrs. Winchester kept several species of tropical birds. The grounds also had beautiful gardens, three fountains that rested on stone bases, and graceful metal statues sculpted in the classical style of both people and animals. By 1906, Mrs. Winchester's incredible mansion had reached its highest height. It was seven stories tall and had a beautiful tower that overlooked the 161 acres of land that she had purchased over time. The rolling farmland had apricot and plum orchards and walnut trees. She sold the fruit, nuts, and other crops to supplement her income, as if it needed supplementing. On April 18, 1906, at 5.12 a.m., the Great California Earthquake caused an incredible amount of damage throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. Violent shocks punctuated the strong shaking, which lasted from 45 to 60 seconds. Because Mrs. Winchester slept in a different room each night, and because the house was so massive, her servants didn't know where she was. She was finally located in the Daisy Room, one of the 50 or so bedrooms in the house at the time, 
and the one that was said to be Mrs. Winchester's favorite. The carpenters who were building yet another room onto the house that morning worked feverishly to remove all of the debris from the collapsed floors that blocked the door. Miraculously, Mrs. Winchester was found unharmed. After the earthquake, she had the daisy room and 29 other rooms in the front part of the house boarded up. As a result of the earthquake, the tower and three of the floors were destroyed. The house was kept at just four stories tall, but nothing as simple as an earthquake would deter Mrs. Winchester from her obsession. She continued to build onto the house, adding rooms, hallways, and staircases, day after day, year in, year out. In 1911, the New York Times ran an article entitled, Winchester's Widow Dying. The article claimed that Sarah was at the point of death, and claimed that she was dying alone at Lanata Villa, the country home where she has lived secluded for nearly ten years in what her neighbors call the House of Mystery. The article said that ever since the earthquake partially destroyed her home, she had suffered from severe mental trouble. It went on to say that she told her few friends who persisted in visiting her despite their brusque reception that she had received a message from the spirit world warning her that all would be well so long as the sound of hammers did not cease in the house or on the grounds. The article said, The house is now 500 feet long. The doors and windows are draped in white satin, and rare objects from India and France fill the rooms. The article's dire prediction about Mrs. Winchester being at death's door was totally fabricated. But it's interesting that the gossip about her mental state and the story about the spirits instructing her to build the house were in full swing during her lifetime. If Sarah read the article, it didn't deter her from continuing with her building project. The carpenters kept on working day and night, adding rooms, tearing them down again, then building new ones for the next 11 years. On September 5, 1922, at 10.45 p.m., Sarah Winchester died peacefully in her sleep at Lanata Villa. She lived to the ripe old age of 83 years old. It's said that upon hearing the news of Sarah's passing, the carpenters quit so abruptly that they left half-hammered nails protruding from walls. A service was held in Palo Alto, California, and her remains were held at Alta Mesa Cemetery until they were transferred, along with those of her sister, to New Haven, Connecticut, where she was buried next to her husband and their infant child, Annie. She left the majority of her tremendous wealth to charity. In memory of her husband, William, she left over $1 million, the equivalent of over $17 million today, to the General Hospital Society of Connecticut for the care and treatment of tuberculosis patients. All of her possessions, except for the house, were left to her niece Marion, who was also left $3,000 plus the income from a $200,000 trust fund. Marion took just a few things that she wanted, then auctioned off the rest of the contents of the house. It's said that it took movers working eight hours a day for six weeks to remove it all. One of the many mysteries of the house that Sarah Winchester built was that she made no mention of it in her will. 
Though it cost over $5 million to build, appraisers considered it to be essentially worthless. There was considerable damage caused by the earthquake, many rooms and entire wings remained unfinished, and the maze-like layout of the house made it unappealing and impractical. The house was sold at auction to a local investor named Thomas Burnett for $135,531.50, less than the value of the acreage the house sat on. In 1923, Burnett leased the house to John and Mamie Brown, who eventually purchased it. John Brown planned on creating a park on the property featuring one of the earliest known wooden roller coasters. But due to local restrictions and the overwhelming public interest in the house, just five months after Sarah's death, the Browns opened the Winchester House to the public. Today, the house is a major tourist attraction owned by the descendants of John and Mamie Brown. Stories of hauntings at the Winchester House began almost as soon as Sarah died. While many famous people visited the house over the years, the most significant was Harry Houdini. In 1924, the world-renowned magician was invited to the Winchester House by a university student who was a tour guide there. At the time, Houdini was on a lecture tour where he exposed the claims of various mediums and spiritualists of the day. While Houdini was impressed with the house itself, he never provided a detailed summary of his visit. We do know that he sought out specific rooms that were said to be the sites of high spirit activity, but he wasn't able to conduct a detailed investigation because of his tour schedule. Apparently, it was Houdini himself who suggested naming it the Winchester Mystery House. So much has been written about the Winchester Mystery House over the years that it's often impossible to tell myth from reality. But there are some things we know that may help dispel some of the rumors. For one thing, construction on the house didn't go on continuously. Although workers were building onto the house year after year around the clock, Mrs. Winchester routinely dismissed them for months at a time to give herself a rest from the noise, and she gave them long breaks when the weather was hot. She also stopped construction in 1903 when she rented a house in San Francisco to prepare for her niece's wedding. Though she was an extremely private person, Mrs. Winchester wasn't totally reclusive. Many people are surprised to hear that she owned another house. In 1888, she purchased a four-room cottage for her sister Isabel Merriman, who wanted to raise carriage horses there. The sisters transformed it into a 12-room carpenter's gothic-style house called El Sueño, or The Daydream. It's located just 11 miles from Sarah Winchester's estate, so the two sisters probably spent quite a bit of time together. Today, the house is known as the Winchester Merriman House. What about the story that Mrs. Winchester felt that the money she inherited was blood money? Well, the fact is, back then, firearms were looked at very differently than they are today. Guns were considered a vital necessity for protection and to win wars that the majority of U.S. citizens were supportive of. If she felt guilty about owning the company, she could easily have sold her shares in it and walked away. Instead, 
She kept the Winchester Arms Company, and she continued purchasing even more shares of its stock. She also spent the money she earned from it building her house and adding expensive fittings and furnishings. So whatever reason she had for building her sprawling mansion, it likely had nothing to do with guilt. So why did Sarah Winchester add onto her house almost continuously for over 38 years? There are a lot of theories, the most well-known being that it was to appease the angry spirits of those killed by Winchester rifles. But there's a much simpler explanation. Sarah may have simply been intensely interested in architecture and interior design. She most likely didn't set out to build such a sprawling estate. It probably just kept growing and growing, and she kept at it because she liked what she was creating. There were very few female architects at the time. The first American woman known to have worked as a professional architect was Louise Blanchard Bethune. She started her practice in 1881, and in 1888 she became the first female associate of the American Institute of Architects. Now, Sarah may or may not have known about Louise Bethune, but she was clearly driven to try her hand at designing a home, even without formal training. And why not? While most people with an interest in architecture would have to be content with drawing up plans for their dream home, Mrs. Winchester's unlimited resources meant that she could actually build it. What's more, she could fill the rooms she designed with beautiful woodwork, marble fireplaces, and inlaid parquet floors. She could furnish them with the most beautiful furniture covered with the most expensive fabrics. She could add outrageously opulent stained-glass windows and chandeliers and equip the rooms with the most up-to-date gadgets of the day. And if she didn't like what she built, she could simply knock it down and try something else. And that's exactly what she did. Far from being the scary monstrosity it's often made out to be, Sarah Winchester's mansion is an absolute marvel, a woman's experiment in architecture and interior design. She was, in a sense, an artist who actually lived in her work of art. And just as Picasso never stopped painting when the art world ridiculed his innovative style, Mrs. Winchester ignored the ridicule and rumors of the day and kept on doing what she loved creating a tremendous, ever-changing work of art. But what about the ghosts? Some employees who worked at the mansion for Mrs. Winchester are said to haunt it to this very day. One of the most famous ghosts is known as the Wheelbarrow Ghost, a man who has been seen working on the fireplace in the ballroom or pushing a wheelbarrow full of ash or coal. He's thought to be the ghost of one of Mrs. Winchester's workers named Clyde. A number of present-day employees and a few visitors have claimed to have crossed paths with Clyde. More than one visitor to the mansion thought that the ghost was an actor hired to portray a worker from the early 1900s. Clyde is described as a black-haired, mustached man wearing white overalls and a Victorian-style boater hat. A present-day worker encountered a ghost in an area known as the Hall of Fires, so named for its many fireplaces. Prior to the mansion opening, the worker was on a ladder when he suddenly felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned around, but no one was there. The worker went back to doing what he was doing when he felt a hand pressing against his back. He looked around the room, 
but apart from himself, the room was totally empty. One night in 2017, a security camera captured an eerie apparition on one of the upper balconies. The house was closed for the day, and the surveillance video captured what looks like a lamp or lantern moving back and forth on the balcony. No one was in the house at the time, so there is absolutely no explanation for the ghostly light. One day, a tour guide had a strange encounter outside the room in which Mrs. Winchester had been trapped during the earthquake of 1906. The Daisy Room had been sealed by Mrs. Winchester after the quake for safety reasons, but it had recently been open to the public and is now part of the tour. One day, a tour guide was gathering visitors into the room when she heard a loud sigh in the hallway. Thinking it was a straggler, she walked out to tell them to come in. When she went into the hall, it was empty, but not entirely. The guide looked down the hall and saw a small, ghostly form gliding around the corner. She gave chase, but when she turned the corner, no one was there. As she turned to walk back to finish giving the tour, she heard another long sigh. Who was this tiny ghost? Many think it was Mrs. Winchester herself. In life, she stood just four feet, ten inches tall. Longtime maintenance worker Denny said that one morning after entering the water tower, he heard the patter of footsteps coming from the floor above. He ascended the steps and called out to let the person know that the three-story structure was closed to visitors, but there was no reply. As Denny climbed the tower, he kept hearing the footsteps, and they were always one floor above him. When he finally got to the top floor, it was empty. Convinced that someone was in the tower, Denny climbed up onto the roof, but there was no one in sight. Today, those who tour the house might be surprised to feel their shirts or skirts tugged at during tours. Doorknobs have also been known to turn on their own, and footsteps have been heard shuffling to and from Mrs. Winchester's bedroom after closing hours. Strangely, a few visitors were alarmed when they experienced a temporary loss of vision while touring the house. There's a saying that goes, don't try to run before you can walk. But the truth is, sometimes those who try to run before they can walk grow up to be the best runners. Sarah Winchester was such a person. At a time when most women conformed to what society expected of them, she did what she pleased. She took an idea and she ran with it. And it most likely wasn't the ghosts who chased Sarah through the complex, twisting maze of a mansion she created. It was her own creativity, her own curiosity, urging her on and on to be better and better at what she imagined. That said, there certainly does seem to be a ghost or two haunting the Winchester Mystery House. But if you visit the house, I'm sure the spirit you'll be most affected by is Sarah Winchester's spirit of adventure and creativity. And if you're like me, you'll leave with a smile on your face. Because by walking through her house, in a sense, you got a chance to meet the eccentric old woman herself.
If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow me and leave a comment. To contact me, use the email address listed in the program notes. I'm Barry Pirro, and this is Haunted Happenings.